Well, NIA listeners, Trung here. Uh, this week's episode, we have Jordan Schneider from China Talk. He's going to drop some knowledge and insights about what's happening in China. For those that may not know, there's been massive protests over the past week uh, in China. It has to do with the COVID zero policy that the country's had since the start of the pandemic. And it's kind of morphed into something larger. And uh, it might be a real threat to President Xi Jinping. So uh, international, really big story. We'll also be talking about uh, Apple versus Twitter later on the episode. But the first part will be with Jordan. Jordan from China Talk. Uh, Jack's not here this week, uh, but it's uh, me, Bilal, and Jordan. Uh, we hope you guys enjoy. All right, welcome to another episode of No Investment Advice. We've got Trung Fan Bilal Zaidi here. Unfortunately, Jack is not able to join us today. He's doing some cool, artsy stuff in Miami, but he'll be back hopefully next week. But we we got our boy Jordan Schneider in today to talk China. Jordan, welcome to the show, man. Oh, what an honor! I have never <laughs> been more excited to talk. <laughs> I think I heard you China. say that on another podcast, actually. So I, I need to know which one's true. Actually, no. This is this is this is the most fun I will have talking about terrible things, um, which is all you do when you talk about modern China. Um, yeah. So yes, can't wait. You know, we're gonna, also you're a legend. YouTube comments. You changed my life. Um, wait, I was wait. in a dark place, and Trung DM me out of nowhere, being like, "Jordan, your podcast it doesn't suck, and all the other China podcasts do." <laughs> What's your Is secret? I'm like, I don't know, man. I try. <laughs> and then, you know, I've been I've had a had a pretty big month on on Twitter as China Twitter goes. This is all thanks to Trung's sort of back channel uh tweet editing. I asked him, there I don't make go. him read the whole thread, but I'm just like, come on, first tweet, Trunk. Give me some of that magic sauce. He's like, move this comma over here. No semicolon. What the fuck hilarious. you thinking about Jordan with the semicolon? Um, and then now I, uh, you know, quadruple my follower count, which is... I- I did get really mad at Jordan for like at tagging people in the first tweet of like this really, he had a super viral thread that you guys may have actually seen. Some listeners might've seen it actually. It was about the U.S. government like really clapping down on uh, China's semiconductor industry. But uh, you might've seen it actually. I'm pretty sure he shared it in our group chats. But yeah, he was sending on like, dude, Way too many ad tags. Like, get these hashtags out of here. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the content's amazing. You just, you know the drill, right? People are scrolling through 100 tweets a minute. You just got to make that first one clean. That's yeah. it. There we go. That's that's cool to hear the backstory, man. But anyway, Jordan, so um, you're based in the States, right? So uh, just to clarify. Uh, Indeed. To talk about I live this? Okay. in New York City. Uh, my day job is at the Rhodium Group, a China uh a uh, China focused research firm. And I also run the China Talk podcast and newsletter. It's I, incredible. Both of them are incredible. That's, and that's, uh, it's ChinaTalk.media, right? Is that yeah. ChinaTalk.media? Yeah. Okay, perfect. So we, we can share that in the show notes as well, but you can just open up in a new tab while you're listening to this and uh, subscribe. Um, so look, man, I, I'm going to be straight up with you. I don't know what the hell is going on <laughs> in the last week, especially, I mean, in general, what's going on in China is always kind of a blur to me. I just read like a few random threads once in a while. The Economist writes something once in a while and I'll read it. But I honestly don't know that much. But in the last week, especially, it's been, seems like mayhem from a few clips I've seen. Um, so I guess we want to get, you know, an understanding of what is happening on the ground based on your understanding anyway um but is there anything else to preface that before we go into the details of the last week yeah i mean i think we got to start with a bit of a history lesson um because this is happening as a direct function of two trends first the longer one of a broader sort of drive towards autocracy that she who assumed power in 2012 and um is 
change the constitution to live to, to apparently rule indefinitely, um, as well as the sort of trials and tribulations of the way China has responded to COVID over the past few years. So let's start with COVID, which is the more proximate cause of the of the recent unrest. Um, as everyone knows, uh, Wuhan, China was the first city on the planet to um, uh, to to get hit with COVID. And uh, the playbook that uh, the PRC developed in those early months of very aggressive lockdowns um, that reach all the way to the neighborhood level where um, sort of very local levels of governance are, are government are making sure that their individual sort of like housing compound is uh, spying on each other and making sure no one's leaving and and as as COVID free as possible was successful for a while. Basically, pre-Omicron, China was able to, for all intents and purposes, stamp out uh, the spread of COVID with um, with aggressive testing, um, these very harsh lockdowns initially, and um, to the point that, uh, you know, where, where the rest of the world in 2020 and 2021 was having a really tough time with mass death and um, and uh, and sort of intermittent lockout, lockdowns. There, I remember you guys, I, I'm I imagine your listenership remembers this sort of viral video of Wuhan at this like water party, uh, you know, water festival music party um, that uh, didn't say that well. Um, <laughs> no, there's a party. There was a viral video because everybody was like having a like they were having a good time because it was COVID zero. Was Is this correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, COVID, COVID, COVID zero was the place to be if you wanted to enjoy yourself in, uh, you know, well, summer, like New Zealand, fall, Australia, right? Like I was seeing like festivals in New Zealand, people on people's shoulders while everybody was locked down. And uh, the thing I want to add was I do remember that feeling at the beginning of uh, of of the pandemic. I remember having these conversations with my dad. He's Vietnamese and he's not the biggest fan of China. In fact, <laughs> you might say he's not a fan at all. But uh he was just like, wow, they're like doing a really good job. And like, even in Vietnam, it's like, wow, they're doing a really good job. Because Vietnam was one of the first countries to shut the borders, right? Because yeah. they obviously border China. They shut down the borders and, and they look like they're doing a good job. And similar to, I think uh, you're probably going to uh, talk about how it didn't end up and into the, the best situation. But yes, continue. So there's the Wuhan virus video. Okay. So we have a, we have China sort of like, you know, coming up coming up with a full house and she starts to take a lot of personal pride and credit for this that yeah. that under his leadership under the chinese system of governance they were able to beat the thing that the rest of the world succumbed to so fast forward 2022 we got this new thing called omicron and it is pretty much impossible to control in the style that uh, China had been had been attempting to it, it, using the methods that China had successfully done for the earlier variants. So um, this is what led to the lockdown of Shanghai in April of 2020 when they had a COVID spike. And uh, not just Shanghai, of course, there have been other many other major cities who've been locked down for weeks or even months in the case of some cities in um, uh, in, in in Xinjiang. So you have this sort of building frustration and uh, pressure among people who have not had normal lives for going on a year now. And when they see the rest of the world with uh, mRNA vaccines, having basically moved on from the virus. So that brings us to September of 2022. The National Party Congress, it's sort of like the, you know, every five years, the big moment in Chinese politics, she takes a victory lap, says he's going to stick around for a while. And uh 
in the lead up to this, most people were expecting that, okay, you know, they'd keep this COVID zero thing going um, up through the party Congress, but during it and afterwards, we'd start to see some loosening up. And um, so people were like, all right, let's just hold on through September. And then things are going to, things are going to start to get back to normal. So uh, two things happened during the party Congress. First, you saw of all the potential futures of how this could have played out politically, the sort of most aggressive um, signaling that um, it was all she all the time, uh, sort of no exit strategy, no no political exit strategy from him as a leader. Um, there was no sort of uh, sort of heir appointed um, on the on the standing committee, uh, as well as not a lot of discussion uh, at all uh, signaling that zero COVID would would be something that would be wound down. Um, Now, subsequent to that, you had these 20 points released where um, people did actually raise their expectations that there was a plan to get folks out of zero COVID. But um, in the following weeks, there were major outbreaks, uh, upwards of 30,000 positive cases per day, which caused a number of cities to shut down again. And that got people... Wait, that- is this after, did they loosen a little bit? Seeing like they look at this 20 point plan, like, oh, it sounds like we can loosen up a bit. So let's loosen. Or was it just happening organically anyways did they lose it that led to it or uh unclear probably didn't hurt might have already been building beforehand um but the sort of so the the two proximate causes coming back to to what led up to this protest were um the sort of excitement uh followed by grave disappointment that future lockdowns brought down as well as this incredibly tragic fire um that happened in Urumqi uh Xinjiang uh in a in a Uyghur neighborhood where um uh, officially 10 pro- likely many more died um because of covid restrictions on the housing complex where doors were bolted from the outside and and um sort of like blockades were set up to stop letting people out that also made it uh impossible for uh, fire trucks to get uh, to the scene in time to put out the flames. Can you explain the region a bit and the history and why that, uh, uh, the, you know, a lot of the tension around the, the region? Because I think a lot of the our listeners probably will know uh, that area of China based around, you know, the Western corporations that have had to deal with the politics of uh, manufacturing there. Trang, could ETC. you clarify what what's the name of the region you're talking Xinjiang? about? Yeah, yeah, okay. Eastern and China. Cl- close. Um, <laughs> Xinjiang. Um, uh, so, I, wait, hold uh, on. So, Before Jordan continues, I had never heard Shanghai pronounced the way you do. I say Shanghai. I heard Jordan go Shanghai. I'm like, God, this is just his OG here. There we He's go. Just like, Listen, yeah. everything I'm going to say is going to be incorrect. It sounds so, like the yeah. World Cup commentators. Yeah. They just <laughs> yeah. say every single name perfectly. And I'm like, this is just making me feel bad but yeah all right jordan did, did you see it. the um uh the iranian journal excuse me the iranian journalist today <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. calling out adam as being like you're criticizing our country you don't even pronounce our name right well it's like maybe you should stop super- shooting people in the streets and then we might give you a little more respect there, jesus there, christ jordan's coming Anyways. Shoot. Well, let me let one thing before jordan already clapped down on me the professor professor like a teacher right I trunk fan said my name incorrectly for 25 years. So people have never heard this on the podcast. When I moved to Vietnam at 23, everybody on the street started calling me Chung. That's how you say my name in Vietnamese. I'm like, what, what, what are you guys calling me? Turns out Trump yeah. is a white way to say my name. And that's what I had to do over 23 years. And even now, but Jordan, apologies. Close. 80%. No, no, no. It's, it's good. We're, 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 this is an educational <laughs> show, right? Um, so, uh, so, 
Xinjiang, uh, Western China. Um, Western. Sorry, origin, uh, it's it's not majority Han Chinese. So so China has a number of different sir as dozens of different minority populations. Um, the most the two most famous are Tibetans. Uh, uh, the three most the three most populous and famous are Tibetans, um, Mongolians who mostly live in Inner Mongolia and Northern China, as well as Uyghurs uh, who populate Western. Uh, Western China and are most concentrated in the in the province of Xinjiang. So Xinjiang, um, you know, it, over the over the long sweep of Chinese history, has been sort of in and out of control by the um, um, by the capital. Uh, they were most recently conquered um, in the in the Ming dynasty and sort of had a, you know, hot moment of independence in the ninth, uh, 10th century where there's a, where there was like a sort of Uyghur empire, but anyways, it, it has always been a, a sort of colonial relationship that the, um, that the sort of Han leaders from sort of Imperial China through, um, uh, through sort of Republican and then um, uh, sort of uh, uh, communist China have taken to the region. Um, most famously in the past, uh, you know, five, five or six years, you've seen these uh, this, the, the labor camps, uh, which followed a period of um, uh, of, of unrest and fears from Beijing that uh, of, of sort of rising radicalism and, and terrorism to the point that they've now put um, millions into sort of concentration, reeducation, labor camps, um, which uh, is probably why folks have have uh, have heard of the region, if at all, in the West. But it is it is a sort of beautiful culture. They have fantastic food and music and poetry. And there's a lot more to Xinjiang than just the sort of um, pain that the uh, uh, that the people have been um uh, uh, suffering under government rule over the past few years. Well, but anyways, coming back is to it, the, sorry, sorry, I just want to add quickly is like the ninety five percent of the country of China is Han, right? Of uh, uh, descent, is this correct? And the minority is something described, like ninety, but yeah, ninety. Okay, so under ten percent are like these Tibetans, the Inner Mongolians, and the the Uyghurs. Is it, so that's that kind of speaks to their relationship to the rest of the country. Yeah. So so um uh, so uh, there are like twenty thirty million uh. Uyghurs, I think, and, and generally, you know, they are they are Muslim, uh, uh, and uh, uh, the um, uh, the Chinese Communist Party uh, doesn't take particularly well to religious groups, uh, particularly those who you know have a history of independent rule, um, and uh, you know, there's been a there's been a a, a sort of different um, levels of intensity at which Beijing has tried to sort of quash um, independent languages, cultures, um, religions uh, since uh, since Mao. This probably most aggressive moment was during the Cultural Revolution, where you had sort of mosques um, and, and temples burned down and 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 sort of leadership really aggressively persecuted. Things got a little softer um, during uh, reform and opening. And now we're in a phase of very aggressive uh, of of very aggressive crackdown once again and sort of coming back to zero covid um there's been um a lot of discussion about how uh the the sort of level of lockdown that has been put on um minority regions and sort of Uyghurs in Xinjiang in particular has been much more aggressive than the sorts of uh, uh, controls that have been put on their Han neighbors. Um, however, after the protests, um, what was what was sort of very, um, you know, after the fire um, on the, this past Thursday, what was really striking to a lot of observers was how the protests were actually um, majority majority Han Chinese um, who who, um, you know, 
came out in the thousands uh, furious that uh, that the government has, um, uh, you know, that, that the government led uh, let 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 something like this fire happen. And, um, you know, historically, there have been a lot of tensions between uh, between Han and and, um, uh, and and Uyghurs in Xinjiang. To, so to see this sort of, you know, uh, maybe go too far to say cross um, cross racial solidarity, but um, shared frustration, to be sure, was a really striking moment, and I think speaks to just how furious um, many Chinese are uh, about the past uh, few years of COVID policy. Well, did you have a question? Yeah, I just want to just uh, this is quite a touchy topic, but we already started talking about the Uyghur, so I just wanted to uh, go into that a little bit more, if you don't mind. Um, sure. Again, I know very high level stuff about the situation there. You already described most of it of what I know already. From someone who is like specialized in this, you know, country and what is going on on the ground there, what is your opinion on how we're going to look back as a global, you know, society that this was happening in the time that we were alive? Like, and I, I don't want to drive parallels or draw parallels to, you know, atrocities in the past but you just mentioned 30 to 40 million you know Uyghurs are in the country which is essentially I'm from the UK that's more than half the population of the UK right 60 million people and you said several million people are in the equivalent of concentration camps or re-education camps and stuff like that again I'm saying the word concentration camp of course we're going to think of what has happened in World War II um, <clears throat> but I, I want to separate that and just say from what you understand what level of scale is this actually this atrocity um is it at right now and does it feel like we are just kind of letting it go by and in the future we're going to say oh my god i can't believe that was happening while we were alive and we didn't deal with it yeah to correct the record a little bit i looked it up 12.8 million uyghurs in uh uh, mostly mostly in, in 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 xinjiang um you know, it's a, it's an interesting question. Um, there has been a lot of debate over the past few years on whether this is something that counts as genocide. I mean, I think that the important thing to recognize is that these are not sort of death camps, um, right? There, there are concentration camps where people are being held indefinitely. Um, I, I think the, uh, which is, you know, awful and a, and a, a sort of a, a grave violation of, of, of human rights and um, sort of the layer on top of that. And the thing I think is, I feel confident in saying is that this is certainly a form of cultural genocide um, where you uh, she uh, and the 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 sort of uh, CCP at, at large has broadly decided that they have no interest in keeping a sort of a, a, a kind of like independent uh, Uyghur culture as something that persists. And you see this in sort of the aggressive persecution of of cultural leaders, of Uyghur language media, of uh, Uyghur language instruction um, and sort of this this broad, um, you know, mental reeducation that the uh, that the party has very aggressively pushed forward over the past few um um, over the past few years. So, um, yeah, putting millions of people, I mean, yes, I do think this is, this is a really, um, a a deeply upsetting thing, uh, that one would not expect, uh, to be possible in the 21st century. And uh, thankfully, there has been a fair amount of um, Western attention over the past few years um, that has uh, um, that has brought this brought this to light. And you've seen uh, a number of governments around the world, including the U.S., um, 
uh, and Europeans start to take actions by sort of sanctioning individuals in charge, um, trying to uh, weed out uh, products that have forced labor in uh, in them that that end up being exported to um, uh, to Western countries. But at the end of the day, this isn't something really that um, the Western world has a lot of power to stop um, because, uh, you know, this this will end basically when she decides it will. And uh, unfortunately, that hasn't um, that hasn't quite happened yet. Unfortunately, that hasn't happened yet. Yeah, Jordan, yeah. I want to pull one thread that you mentioned as you're describing the situation is uh, the idea that controlling different ideologies, right? It's not just about religion. This is why they had the Great Firewall, right? When the, when the internet first started uh, popping up in the mid-90s, China's like, oh, well, that looks like a competing, potentially competing ideologies. But I just wonder if you could speak more to this idea of like, like the Catholic Church has had a very difficult time in China, right? Like the Pope has had to give very, uh, like, uh, Sir, the Pope has done stuff in China he's not done anywhere else in the world in terms of bishops' appointments and, and things of that nature. It's because China, the Communist Party of China, does not want any competing ideology, right? Religious, uh, Western media. Um, could you just speak to that a little bit? And then uh, and then shortly after we get right into like where do you think the protests are kind of headed? Sure. You know, um, China, uh, sort of the Communism is an atheist, uh, sort of like comprises an atheist belief system. And I think a foreign ideology, foreign ideology, excuse me, foreign ideologies, regardless of whether they are sort of secular or religious, are by and large seen as a threat. Um, You know, of course, this is this is very ironic in that, uh, you know, communism is came from Marx and Engels, right? Uh, two white guys, as far as I remember. Um, uh, so uh, there is this there is this interesting tension that um, uh, that sort of flows through flows through all of this. Um, but yeah, you know, there is no freedom of religion in China. Um, you've seen sort of uh, uh, a pretty aggressive persecution on independent churches in the past few uh, in the past few years. Just a few days ago. Um, uh, the headline was the Vatican accused uh, Chinese authorities of violating a bilateral pact on the appointment of bishops by installing one in a diocese not recognized by the Holy See. So, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, this is not any, you know, I, I don't think the CCP sees much upside, if at all, um, to to allowing foreign thought to to um, to come in or at least today's CCP. This was different um, post um, post Mao when uh, during the early days of reform and opening in the in the late 70s and 80s, there was a real searching. There, there was a real understanding that what Mao did was terrible and that we should not have to live through that again. And maybe there are things that that we can learn from the West on how to organize our our government and society. But um, particularly under Xi over the past 10 years, you know, he's been very explicit about sort of foreign foreign cleansing China of foreign polluting influences and stuff like religion, uh, you know, access to Twitter and Google. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll check to see if your guys podcast is blocked in a little bit. Um, but, um, uh, you know, that sort of thing or it might be after the show. Um, sorry, Trump. Um, uh, uh, are, um, uh, are, are, are all sort of like seen as a downside problem, um, for this, uh, uh, for Is this, there, uh, could you throw us kind of the steel man perspective, like the best argument for why she is so aggressive, not to defend him, but if you're in his, uh, a camp, uh, what, what would you say to kind of the criticism that he's taken from sure. the international community? Yeah. So, so I think that the logic the the internal logic behind she's 
crackdown on culture, crackdown on minorities, is that he's just trying to make China great again. And, um, you know, what that needs is sort of like unity of thought, unity of purpose. Um, you know, the foreigners are sort of using you know, these sneaky ideas like freedom and democracy and, and human rights uh, to, um, uh, to undermine uh, China, particularly as it's entering this sort of moment uh, of global confrontation when actually the whole planet is out to get them and undermine uh, and, and, and sort of stop China from growing into a global technological, military, economic superpower. Um, so if China is gonna make it through um, make it through this like hard, um, difficult, you know, make it through this like tense global environment. What it needs is a strong leader who has like control over the sort of mind share um, and is able to do things, uh, you know, is able to do this sort of like, you know, very hard types of governance uh, that COVID zero is a manifestation of in order to keep China on a, on tr a track towards national greatness and rejuvenation. Now, um, uh, we, have already discussed sort of, uh, a sort of hor horrific symptom of that, of, of that logic, which is the, um, uh, uh, which is the sort of oppression of the, of the Uyghurs. Um, but I think, um, also that sort of line of logic has lead, has led you to the protests over the past few days. And then the article you just published, which is, uh, the title is China protest harbinger or passing storm. What? Are your thoughts of I read it as a great piece. China Talk Media, amazing piece. Where do you stand right now this morning? Sure. So so um we sort of left off the narrative about what caused the protest. So let me talk a little bit about what happened over the past few days, and then we can get into the the um uh, the future scenario, uh the future potential scenario. So um, you know, Thursday, uh Thursday night we had a fire. Um uh, Friday night uh we had a large um uh you know, relatively unruly, but not overly violent um, protests um, in, in a handful of cities in China. Um, and then Saturday night and into sun, and, and then Saturday night, uh, it really spread across the country. Apparently, there were over 79 universities that had some sort of actions and uh, hundreds or thousands gathering in a number of major um, cities, including Beijing, Shanghai. I'll do the sort of white people pronunciation for you, Trung, make you feel comfortable. Thank um, you. <laughs> uh, uh, Wuhan, Guangzhou. Um, uh, so, sorry, and, just for people who are only listening, I want to point out that Jordan is a white looking man and Trung is an Asian looking man, though he's Vietnamese. <laughs> I guarantee <laughs> so Jordan can nice speak Mandarin better than I can speak Vietnamese. It's <laughs> yeah, not even a question. Enough. You could probably speak better Mandarin than I speak I, English. So I've been enough. told by a lot of Vietnamese cab drivers that I speak Vietnamese like a white man. Uh, that, that's literally the phrase, the phraseology. You speak Vietnamese. Look, look Same, there's, yeah. there's levels. You speak Vietnamese, you don't speak Vietnamese at all. And then, I think speaking <laughs> like, like a white man, you're already, you know, pa surpassing a lot of the other Canadian Vietnamese out there. So Fair I wouldn't enough. be, I wouldn't Fair be enough. too hard on yourself, Trunk. Okay. Um, I didn't mean so, to cut uh, you off, but yeah, back to what you're okay, saying. So, so, so the protest. So we had, we had protests across the country, um, people uh, demonstrating for the end of zero COVID and, and in Shanghai, uh, even chance starting uh, sort of like for Xi Jinping to leave the stage and for the CCP to end. Now, um, uh, I think your listeners probably have a sense of just how crazy this is. Um, protests happen in China 
on occasion. Um, but, uh, you know, since since since, of course, uh, the famous uh, Tiananmen uh, Square 1989. But the, the types of protests that happen uh, on a regular basis in China are very localized. And the and and people sort of are complaining about back pay, compa- complaining about environmental, um, uh, you know, the, their their local river being polluted, sorts of very kind of like domestic localized concerns. Having a nationwide protests um, uh, in, in in dozens and dozens of locations, um, particularly a cross-class one. So you saw workers, you saw students, you saw uh, mostly young people, but also a handful of old people, migrant workers, all sort of venting their frustration at a national level policy um, is, is truly a um, you know decadal event, the largest challenge that she has faced um, and, and likely the biggest challenge that um, the CCP has confronted uh, since um, since the events in Tiananmen Square. So yeah, I guess the, the, we kind of it kind of leads us to where we are now. Um, so thanks for giving us context around you know the, why it's so significant. Now looking forward, how do you see this playing out? I mean, this is kind of unprecedented, you said. Um, sure. And from your understanding, like there's normally more of a clampdown on this sort of stuff. So is that different this time around, or do you expect that to be the case here? So, so I think what happened is over the weekend, the system was caught a little off guard. Um, uh, on, on sort of Chinese social media, you had censors doing a pretty poor job, frankly, of uh, clamping down on, on videos and photos and articles that talk about the, 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 the incidents and, uh, the sort of police presence at these, um, at these protests was pretty small. And, um, uh, if, if there was sort of like, uh, in sort of normal circumstances, this would have been happened more aggressively, but I think the sort of size scale and speed of both the online as well as in-person protests, um, folks really, the, the system really wasn't ready for, um, which allowed it to sort of, and, and because it was so nationwide and distributed and, and kind of wide scale, um, it wasn't the sort of thing like, oh, if we could like, you know, just if we're doing our normal thing of like tracking our like, you know, 20 instigators or whatever, like that, that method um, wasn't going to, wasn't going to stop this. So um, in the past 48 hours, you've seen the system start to spin up. Um, the, the sort of censorship online has become more aggressive um, Sunday night and um, Monday night, you saw very large police presences, um, which by and large have dissuaded protesters. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting to compare this to what happened in uh, Hong Kong, which of course in the, in the summer, and fall of uh, uh, 2019 had longstanding um, protests, which basically every weekend for months on end, you saw a great, you saw, you know, Thousand, first thousands, then tens of thousands, then even millions taking to the street um, and uh, sort of running battles almost between protesters and um excuse me, uh, between protesters and police. Um, I don't think that that's the sort of thing that's going to happen in uh, in China. Uh, there, there, are, there are a few major differences. First, um, the sort of police state uh, in, uh, in mainland China has been training for this for decades, frankly. Um, this has been a sort of like state state stability and control of the streets post Tiananmen has been a 
sort of major operating principle uh, and a huge place of, of sort of investment and training on the part of uh, on the part of Chinese police bureaus across the uh, uh, across the country to base to, to to do everything they can to stop another Tiananmen. And um, uh, you saw sort of videos of of sort of riot trucks and and, you know, uh, advanced like like uh, rank, uh, you know, police uh, crowd control tactics of splitting up groups and sort of slowly taking folks out into um, uh, um, in, in, into trucks. And these sorts of things have been drilled um, for a long time now. And I think the the sort of Hong Kong police, at least in the early days, wasn't entirely sure what their marching orders were. Um, but after these these initial days, it's been clear that the message has been sent out that we're not going to tolerate, um, you know, uh, uh, groupings by the hundreds of people in um, uh, uh, in in major metropolitan areas. Um, you've also seen. Sorry. Uh, yes, Trump. No, Jordan, I was just going to say, because I read uh, you did uh, two amazing uh, tweet roundups over the weekend that you dropped. It was like a three in one China talk weekend. And uh, I remember one thing from those that really stood out and kind of touched on what you uh, were, were going over there is the idea of like. Yeah, China has to kind of be a little bit of a, a decentralized government, right? Because of how large it is, uh, the country geographically, and also how many people there are to be governed. And But the idea of the animating principle that was able to get everybody together on one page was this tiredness with COVID zero, right? And this is where the idea that, oh, it, it spread to Beijing and Shanghai, uh, where otherwise a lot of things that people would protest, it's difficult to organize around one idea. Is that something that is that that's fairly accurate or how would you describe that? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's real. I think the frustration is nationwide um, uh, because everyone has had their lives disrupted um, by COVID over the past uh, few years in a way that the rest of the world hasn't. So, you know, you have, you have sort of like uh, quarantine outside of your home, um, potentially away from your, from your uh, sort of family and dependents. Um, you've had uh, homeschooling for a number of months. I'm sure Trung uh, uh, as a Nothing a will push it, you to the edge harder than homeschooling. That <laughs> might be the camel. That might be the straw that broke the camel's back. Eight, eight uh, hours with your kid. Yeah. And, and I think the, the other thing is like you, you really had like people forget that like China is poor. There are there are hundreds of millions of people who live on you know hundred dollars a month, and uh, it, you know it's one thing for uh, for someone in a Western country to lose their job because of COVID, um, but uh, you know folks folks have lost jobs that they've needed to to survive, and sort of wiping out family savings of small businesses um, uh, who uh, who who wouldn't who haven't been able to make it past particularly. Uh, past, past, sort of like the 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 lockdowns, particularly when China has not had a, a sort of direct consumer bailout um, to 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 help folks, um, has has you know made 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 this policy a lot of enemies uh, uh, to be sure over the right. Past you can't few, assemble uh, iPhones remotely, right? You can't do that from you can't work from home to make these phones. And I think uh, I think the point that I really wanted to bring up from what I read in your emails was this idea of like why this is such a threat is because this literally affected. Every Every single person in China, whereas sure. these other issues that they've posted, protested about in the past or even take Hong Kong, right? Maybe a lot of people don't care about democracy uh, uh, or a certain subsection of the population doesn't care. Every single person has been affected by this, which makes it a massive threat. Yeah. And, 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 and the other interesting thing is like this is also 
you know, by proxy, a protest against Xi, because this policy has is his sort of lodestar. You know, it's his legacy. He's sort of really planted his flag around um, around COVID zero being something that he should you know take all the credit for. So, you know, it's interesting and I think kind of unclear to what extent this frustration with COVID zero is also a reflection of um, of frustration with with um, uh, uh, with Xi and where he's taking uh, and, and and where he's taking the country even beyond what you've seen in um, uh, in, uh, in in the COVID context. Hey, right, so Jordan, can, we, can we put the pin? Oh, gotcha. well, I just want to ask, can we get those like uh, I know you got some predictions or your thoughts about what well, you've spoken to a lot of people. What are kind of the predictions? Uh, sure. And, sure. Um, so I, I think it's going to be hard for protesters to stay on the street um, in, in, in numbers going forward. Um, the, the sort of the, 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 the sort of Chinese security state was caught off guard, but now they won't be. Um, and, um, I think the stakes have also gone up, uh, are likely to, to go up dramatically for protesters who end up, uh, sort of putting their voice. You'll, you'll probably see sort of unclear how aggressive they'll be with the resting people who are on the streets in, um, over, over the past weekend. Um, but, uh, in in protest movements that have been able to uh, sustain across the world, they uh, have had a lot of tools which um, are not available to uh, to Chinese protesters. Uh, the likes of Telegram and and uh, and and Signal, um, as well as just sort of like practice in doing this with lower stakes. So you know, uh, I, this is this is not really lower stakes, but um, you know, Iran, for instance have had protests every few years. Um, so there are, people are organized, they have friends, they have materiel, they sort of know the drill at this point. This was the same in Hong Kong um, in, in 2011 and then in 2014 uh, before um, before the, the sort of most aggressive protests in, in, in the fall of 2019. Um, however, you know, what this means for China is is uh, is really an open question. I think um, uh, you know the, the 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 sort of COVID timeline, uh, the, the sort of COVID zero timeline may have been uh, the, the the end of COVID zero may have come closer because the 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 system now can't ignore the fact of just how unpopular this is. Um, but that in itself is going to bring challenges because you know inevitably you'll have hundreds of thousands, probably over a million people die um, thanks to um, thanks to Omicron's spread and uh, the, the, the relative lack of vaccinations that uh, China has been able to uh, achieve among its, um, among, among its population. I mean, um, the, the sort of more worrying thing for me is what this leads, you know, where this leads Xi to take the country. Um, you know, I don't think he was particularly worried about social stability before this. Um, and um, I, I, I'm almost certain that he will not use this moment as a time to reflect and maybe think that he should compromise and right. sort of listen to the people and ease up on, on a number of the types of uh, sort of controls that he's put on society, which are which are, um, you know, widely unpopular, particularly among the urban middle class, which is, um, you know, where uh, where uh, a revolution would start if there ever would be one. Um, and instead, go in a more sort of state centered, militarized, more aggressive crackdown on all on all um, uh, uh, you know, on all faucets of, of, of society. And that's really dangerous, um, both 
I would, you know, it, it, it is sad for the people who will have to live under that and also sort of potentially adds more Kindle to um, the fire the next time a, um, uh, uh, a sort of rallying moment of, of, of frustration ends up, uh, ends up coming to the fore. Well, the scary thing, and I've read this in your newsletter a lot and a lot of Chinese commentators or China commentators is the idea that, and this is just historically, if a leader, a strong man leader is seeing their domestic position weaken, they're going to do stuff like invade other countries, right? To, to your point, rally uh, around an idea. And obviously, China and Taiwan have always been uh, a, a kind of, when you talk about Kindle and a fire, that's the main one that is concerning the world with the US. So I, I don't know how much longer we want to go on that, but I'm happy for you to just kind of give like the TLDR on the semiconductor situation and on the risk you see around Taiwan. Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, my, my base case is that nothing crazy happens. Okay. Um, uh, I think that a, um, a blockade or an invasion by Xi, the, the, the downside scenario is so much higher than the upside one for him um, in terms of the sort of massive hit he would create to the Chinese economy. Uh, you know, I've, I've done like a back of the envelope, uh, some back of the envelope work at this, like we're talking instant 25% um, shrinking of China's GDP as the world basically, you know, as you have very aggressive sanctions and trade stops, um, you know, if you want to piss a lot of people off um, and, um, uh, you know, and make a billion people's lives instantly way worse, you know, take away a quarter of their wealth. Um, so uh, and even if he sort of wins the war, you're still and you're, 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 you still become an international pariah and, and you have sort of long term economic uh, challenges, uh, which China has today, even without a Taiwan situation with a debt overhang and an aging society only get exacerbated by that. And and I think that she cares about more things than just territorial territorial aggrandizement. And at the end of the day is worried about, uh, you know, really just wants to keep the party in power, um, you know, during and beyond his reign and 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 China and, and an invasion of Taiwan seems or an invasion or you know aggressive escalation um seems to me to have more downside than upside from that perspective. However, Trung, um you 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 do hit the nail on the head here a little bit in that um one of the sort of like edge cases is that a um you know social domestic social instability leads to uh, a chinese leader wanting to escalate over the taiwan strait over you know over taiwan issues to um uh, uh to sort of rally the rally the base and get folks focused at home um it, you know it's hard to assign a percentage to that sort of thing i would put it in the you know definitely below 1 i think in the in the very near term um but you know as a uh as she gets older, um, you know, no, nothing ever good happens to a country when it's when its leader is in power for more than 15 years. Um, and in particularly after he leaves the stage, whenever that is, um, you, you may see a sort of uh, you know succession struggle where um, over the course of trying to sort of assert control over um, the military, uh, uh, the new leader may may attempt to use a, uh, a, a a Taiwan scenario or other sort of border right. um, uh, border tussle to, um, uh, to 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 make their stamp um, clear that they are the the new um, uh, uh, the new man in the uh, man in the seat. 
That's amazing. Jordan, uh, that was longer than the 30 that uh, you were, you promised us. So appreciate that. And before we move on to the next topic, because I actually haven't heard you talk a lot about uh, US technology. So we're going to put your feet to the fire a bit. Talk about Twitter, maybe some Apple, maybe some Elon Musk. But uh, <laughs> before we do that, we're going to steal man one thing myself. I'm going to steal man me not being able to speak Vietnamese. Okay. So... <laughs> This is the steel man argument for Trung speaking Vietnamese like a white man. Vietnamese is not a very commercially useful language. Dad, if you're listening to this, do not get mad at me. So you're talking maybe 100 million people in the world speak Vietnamese. Listen, I could be on Twitter going viral, okay? Or I could be learning Vietnamese. You decide what has more effect. So that's basically or, what I Come on, I'm man. You saw the you saw those <laughs> those those protests in Zhengzhou. Apple's trying to move to uh, to to um uh, oh, to Vietnam, Vietnam as fast oh, as they sure. can. They need plant managers just like <laughs> you, Trung, flying back between Cupertino and and Ho Chi Minh City. Uh this is your moment. I, I actually knew the uh, so Intel built a plant right when I moved to Vietnam, or they had built one in the mid 2000s, the early aughts, and it was like a big deal, right? Like to have an Intel plant in Vietnam. And I met the guys that did it. The guy that managed that plant was a Vietnamese American from Portland. His Vietnamese was not good. <laughs> His Vietnamese is very subpar. So to your point, I could be running an AirPod factory, except uh, uh, well, this is actually the perfect transition because Elon, uh, for the listeners, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have seen, he's been going after Apple uh, and uh, I've been kind of making memes, making fun of Apple. So I think my employment opportunities at Apple are uh, effectively zero right now. But uh, let me let me throw this out here. Uh, Jordan, you're... you're would you're, you, wait, 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 wait. Would you take a job from Twitter? If, if, Elon, if Elon tweeted you, it was like, Trung, I like your style. You I want, would you think want to work he does like his style okay, because guys, he's following we, we need to know. Does it, if, if it required primarily meme making, then yes, this would be heavily considered. And I think there's a non-zero chance that that's on the table. <laughs> Jordan, you are a Twitter user. Uh, I know you are active in tech Twitter. I believe finance Twitter, obviously uh, China Twitter. Uh, I'm going to show you. You saw, I'm pretty sure you saw the, the, the tweet about Twitter 2.0. So... Do you have a chance to see the product rollouts that they're about to have? So slides from his company talk. Did you see this over the weekend? This got okay. me pretty hard, actually. Let's let's see it. Okay. Hate impressive. So, did you see any of the slides? And so, for people who are just listening, this is Elon Musk tweet, which says slides from my Twitter company talk, and it looks like just a slideshow, but he's uploaded okay, them as images. I have a I have a 2015 uh, MacBook Air, uh, Apple. Come on, these things should be better. Okay, here we go. Twitter 2.0, um, you're a Twitter user. Uh, these first ones, how excited are advertising as entertainment? I think that's been talked about. Longer videos, anything Anything tickling your sure. fancy? Sure, I mean, go to the uh, <laughs> long form tweets one because I think that's the... Uh... Okay, here we go. Okay, these are all interesting, actually. Okay, yeah. so for the, for the listeners, we have uh, the second slide of Elon's presentation he did internally. Uh, some product roles are going to do some encrypted DMs which is important, long-form tweets, the relaunch of Blue Verified. I'd love to get Jordan's thoughts on that. And a payment option. So Jordan, do you want to kind of walk through here your general thoughts on each of these uh, product, Twitter 2.0 rollouts for the next uh, 2023, uh, presumably for Twitter? So I hate writing threads. <laughs> writing threads makes me stupider. <laughs> I write a beautiful thing and then I'm like, wow, I need to write this like a 
like a fourth grader. Um, it, it is it is a medium that is not that like will die at some point because it's just not a good way to like use your brain or ingest knowledge. Um, okay. So as soon as he killed, like the sooner he can kill that with a way to like put paragraphs, um, the better. So okay. in, all in favor of that. Um, the other stuff, yeah, encrypted DMs, like, like I would love for um, a sort of uh, Chinese uh, Chinese spies to have a slightly more difficult time reading um, uh, me and Trung uh, DMing about the CCP. Um, and sending memes, memes, lots of memes. Yes. Um, I think, can, can I talk about uh, Elon and, and China for a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, you know, uh, th they got this like a whole uh, factory and Shanghai, I hear. Um, 30% of the... Of what? Oh, Elon. Yeah, 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 Elon. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What yes, factory? Yes, yes. So they've got, what, a Tesla factory? It's one of the biggest ones for them. I think it's I think it's their largest, like 30% of their revenue is from China. Um, and, you know, Elon basically shits on everyone except China. Um, and I don't think that's a particular surprise. Um, you know, Twitter coming back to the protests has really been, um, you know, a bit of an information battlefield where you've seen, uh, Chinese, uh, Chinese bots pretty aggressively start to spam, um, sort of prostitution ads when searching city names in an effort to make it more difficult to find, um, find information about the protests. And, um, you know, I wouldn't entirely put it past, uh, put it past uh, Elon, who, you know, supposedly is all against bots to maybe be a little less aggressive um, when it comes to um, uh, uh, when it comes to dealing with uh, uh, Chinese bots in particular. I I'm not even entirely sure, but I do think like a maybe maybe I'll just say this, like cutting staff by half, um, presumably like the people who are in charge of dealing with state uh, uh, you know, state actors and state uh, sort of botnets on Twitter is not a huge profit center. Um, and I think in general, I've been a little frustrated with the algorithm of late. I feel like the, it's not getting me the right tweets. Um, and in particular, there does seem to be a lot more spam getting through of the sort of like, uh, this is suspicious, like might be like a paid Chinese thing, uh, nature. So uh, let, me steal man, let me steal man the Olga. All right. Uh, this is, uh, Trunk said that we've broken the record for using the word steel man. Yeah. We just beat Chamath on Lex Friedman, yeah. but go on. <laughs> I believe on. this is a, I, I haven't, uh, what the, the issues I've seen with Twitter since Elon took over is uh, there has been some slower loading times. Uh, I don't know if that's anecdotal, but that's something that I also have really bad Wi-Fi in Canada. Like I have like the shittiest data plan. So again, it could be that. I think anything along the lines that you mentioned, and I have seen tech Twitter talk about, they're like, oh, it feels like my timeline. I'm not getting the same volume of tweets, right? Like you come back three hours later and you're scrolling. And you're like, oh, I think I saw this like three hours ago when I went. Um, if that is the case, here's a steel man. I believe it's a two steps back. I mean, one step back, two steps forward situation here. Okay. Listen, they did clean house. And uh, I, I think a lot of the ideas here to, is to, not sure how possible it is, to automate a lot of these things. To your point, uh, Facebook, for example, has 40,000 employees doing content moderation, right? So like pre-Elon, Twitter had 7,500 employees, period. Facebook spends $5 billion a year on moderation. That's Twitter's entire revenue. So yeah. to your, like, to give me the scale of like the largest social networks in the world, they have to spend so much on moderation. And obviously, 
as you mentioned with Elon, where they're going up against the idea of you cut massive staff. There's going to be a lot of global situations like this. Um, yeah, it's definitely something that is rightfully concerning, right? Like a couple of the staff members they had in Belgium just left and the EU's like, wait a second, but like we have these digital laws here that need to be abided by, right? And then the, yeah. uh, and the U and then Twitter itself in the United States is under FTC uh, consent decree where they have to be monitoring the content on their network. So that is a long preamble for me to say. That was my attempt at steel manning, but I want to talk about the juicy bit here of what's going on. And I know this is very relevant uh, for uh, also kind of China too, is like Apple and Twitter, right? So for the listeners uh, or anyone that wasn't on Twitter yesterday, good for you. Uh, it's probably good for your <laughs> mental health if we're being honest at this point. <laughs> we uh, Elon ha- ha- went after Apple. Uh, I believe there's probably three pieces to this thread. So I'll just kind of talk through them and I'm happy to get your guys' opinion. I love Bilal's opinion on the advertising side, actually. So it turns out that Apple is Twitter's largest advertiser. In Q1 2022, they did about 50 million advertisement, which was about 4 to 5% of Twitter's entire revenue. It sounds like Apple has pulled all their advertising uh, in the meantime, uh, similar to a lot of other companies. They're waiting to see how the content moderation plays out. Um, so that is a situation that is worth watching. So that's number one. The second thing is, here's an Elon tweet. Uh, Jordan, you definitely saw this one, right? Um, this one for the listeners, Elon put the uh, spoiler alert tag and said, did you know Apple puts a secret 30% <laughs> on everything you put in the app store? So that one was funny to a lot of people. Cause people joke is like, Oh, did Elon just find this out? And be like, there's like a non-zero chance. Like he didn't know that before. Like Elon definitely knew that, <laughs> but I think a lot of people don't actually know that. Uh, it's well known for people that follow tech, but uh, so the app store does about 80 bill a year in revenue and they get 30% of that. Oh no, they do gross sales and they get 30% of that. That's like the highest, like pure 100% profit. Unbelievable. Business, right? Unbelievable. Yeah. So they make about 25 a bill just from this app store fee, which is really a tax. And then the third thing I'll add is the third piece of the Apple Elon versus Apple is it sounds like Apple has come after Elon uh, about the moderation piece. And Apple in the past has booted Tumblr and Telegram out of their app store, uh, Tumblr specifically for pornography. Now, I don't know this, but I've heard, I've been told that there's pornography on Twitter. I don't know. Trump fan does not know if there's pornography on Twitter. Never seen it, never searched for it. I've heard. I've been told. No incognito window on Twitter, (laughs) I guess. No incognito window. So... The, apparently, that is a mechanism of concern on top of the stuff like CSAM, child pornography, massive spam, and hate speech. These are all concerning. Apple has acted in the past as a gatekeeper to the App Store. There's over 2 billion active iPhones in the world. It's a gateway for the internet, for the richest people in the world, and a third of the world, period. So those three pieces, Apple is Twitter's biggest advertiser. They pulled out the 30% uh, tax and the free speech stuff. Jordan, I'm going to throw that all to you. Give me your China talk expertise, 360 degree on that. What are you thinking? Make Bilal do it first. I don't know anything about this stuff. <laughs> Bilal, all I, do, I read Ben well, Thompson and I'm like, yes, yeah, probably right. I probably agree with him. But I was just going to actually talk quickly on the 30% tax thing, right? Because yeah. I think the way Elon worded it, he said, did you know Apple puts a secret 30% tax? It's not really a secret, right? Like okay. it's a pretty well-known thing. It's not like... 
hidden away it's more like if you need to know you know if you're selling stuff through that through the app store you know that you get charged a no, fee but the I app assume. developers don't are not allowed to tell the users that exist. oh okay that's what well, it means by secret okay, okay yeah. fair yeah. enough okay so like it's like right now you know spotify is now selling uh uh books but like yeah. they have to do this like really like convoluted thing you have to go to, like, to get desktop you the audio book. it's it's ridiculous yeah that's well i mean it is ridiculous but i guess the my i generally to put my position out there i generally don't like that they have a 30 percent, you know fee tax or whatever you want to call it at the same time you know they essentially created that new industry if you want to call it that right the same way youtube takes a cut of advertising on youtube because they built a platform for virality they host oh, yeah, they take everything 45 percent, right they take 45 percent. 55 percent goes to the creator i mean all the um yeah so th that is a revenue split it's quite normal to have some sort of fee or revenue split i would say a 10 to 20 percent seems much closer to like a fair number here because 20 percent is like even in like agency world, you'll take a 20% like fee for referring people or something like that. And 10% is just a little bit more than like processing fees, right? Three to 5% is processing fees. Oh, that's fees. a great point. Yeah. Right. So, but 30 does seem a little high, but anyway, that that's kind of its own thing. Um, I do think it makes, if you see it from the, the perspective of what makes a good user experience for users, it, this makes it worse because there's a disincentive for people like Spotify to, I, I was trying to play around with it and I went to get an audio book and it said, unfortunately, you can't buy this on the app. You have to go to desktop and in brackets, it says, we know that this is not convenient or something like that. It's quite funny. And the, the rebuttal from Apple would be, well, you can make it convenient for people. You just need to pay the 30%. Um, and actually, I will, just while we're talking about this, we didn't do a meme in the week. I'm just going to share my screen for a second here because I thought this was quite funny for my boy Chris back. Um, this is not real, I believe, but Elon Musk is complaining about Apple. Uh, and It got a, corrected. Oh, my God. Yeah, it got so a co community note. Okay, go ahead. Finish but that the, tweet. But it says Tim Cook responds to Elon saying, your feedback is appreciated. Now pay 30%, which I thought was pretty good because obviously if people haven't seen, Elon's been responding to lots of people, including AOC saying, now pay $8, you know. Or um, Twitter Blue. For Twitter Blue, yeah. So, but yeah, long story short, I do think, I think it's becoming this thing where Elon is using the classic playbook of pick an enemy and like go after them. It it obviously is a convenient thing that Tim, you know, Apple is no longer spending on advertising like other people, lots of people. I mean, if, if I'm being honest, I work in advertising. If I was like managing massive budgets, if you're looking at your portfolio of where you're spending money, while everything's in flux at Twitter, you probably would pause it. It doesn't mean you're gonna go pause forever, but like while you're trying to figure out, is there gonna be more hate speech on the platform? Are there gonna be more bots in the meantime? Is it gonna be a shit show internally? Let's just wait it out. That's normally the Have kind you had of these conversations? Cause you, I you still- yeah. yeah, I don't personally do, do have any of my clients working on uh, Twitter. Well, one of them does and I don't manage but, it, or my team doesn't but, manage but, but it. But here's so. the thing, Bilal, like, as everyone pulls out, like, isn't there going to be some alpha? Won't they like cut rates or something? Yeah. Like this is well, the time yeah, to right. get in, baby. <laughs> you're right. That's true. Well, as long as you're, you're going to see me promoting my threads, you know, underneath, <laughs> yeah. you know, when people promote, <laughs> yo, when people promote like the most like benign tweet, it's like, follow me. And then underneath, it's so confusing. It's the yeah. you, know the, joke ever. you know, the ad I saw yesterday, this is like the only advertiser is left. The Saudi <laughs> investment fund was like, learn more about how we're changing 
Saudi Arabia. I'm like, wow. God the bless alpha, you guys. I mean, you bring Jordan, you bring up a great point though. The alpha the time to be to had go. right now must You're be right. unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. There's like less uh well less there's demand and supply in flux, and you can essentially get better rates if in the If you're auction. not worried about brand safety, yeah, that's what like I was gonna say. Guy, that's like the Trump, key. I'm pointing yeah. at myself. If you don't care about brand safety, also well, okay, Blah, can you talk about like so you're saying totally legitimate for a marketer with a big budget to actually be worried about brand safety. This yeah. isn't just some like, has anything changed though? Like, can we address that? I don't think that anything has actually changed. I don't think changed. much has changed. Yeah. From, from you guys mentioned a few things as a user, you might have noticed a few things. A lot of those might be anecdotal. I don't actually have real kind of aggregate data on it. From the advertiser side, it's more so just a perception thing. So normally like there's crisis management protocols, right? Like um, if there's a big protest going off, and, uh, you know, for example, last in the pandemic, when Black Lives Matter stuff popped off and people are storming the streets, you don't want to be showing your ad talking about go and buy Pepsi right now or whatever, yeah. right? Like, it's just not the right tone. So in those hot moments, you normally pour stuff because it's not worth that day's worth of impressions. You can kind of put them the next day and make up for it anyway or the next week. So generally speaking, anything like that, you anything in flux, you just want to especially for big brands who care about their brand and the brand safety side, mm -hmm. you just don't want to, essentially you don't want to get a screenshot sent to you saying, hey, why is my ad showing next to this police oh, like car on Apple fire? Bees or on CNN like after exactly. like the start of the year. Okay, fair enough. Exactly. Okay, but it's interesting yeah. because like, you know, with YouTube, it's very clear, like my ad is paired with this video. But on Twitter, it's just like, Okay, if you're just like randomly in a feed next to another tweet, it's yeah, you're it, right. I feel like there's less of a brand risk. No, that's true. Yeah, you're right. I think it's just more. I think one is pairing it with content, and the second part is just the moment as a whole. So if yeah. the whole of your feed is talking about you know this terrible tragedy, someone just got killed in the street, and the whole news is about that then you're talking about something that is completely tone deaf, essentially. Yeah, buy some cereal just, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And people don't really know how ads work. You know what I mean? So they just, yeah. all it takes is a few negative comments and it becomes an emergency. And so that's why it's not worth the hassle normally. Bilal, can I actually bring up two points uh, right down your field? And it actually goes to something that Jordan spoke about. So the cutting of the staff, a lot of it from the sales and marketing side, one of the big advertisers, uh, not huge, but spends 80 mil a year. They did a pretty viral thread. Uh, they said, we have seen the tooling for Twitter and our account managers uh, are not being responsive or no response at all. So Bilal, you're a bit marketer. Because they're budget. probably not there anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they forgot they're, to turn the out of office on. They're not responsive <laughs> because there is no account manager yeah, anymore, exactly. right? Okay, so that must be freaking annoying. For you. Yeah. Like you're just like, this is ridiculous. Like fair? Is that a fair assessment? Yeah. And I will just to expand on that point. I think, a lot, you know, a lot of like tech Twitter has this headline summary. First of all, they just think tech companies only hire engineers, a lot of people. And they're like, well, why are there 80,000 engineers managing X company for revenue or whatever? And what they don't realize is, yeah, the leverage you have as an engineer with code is far greater than the manpower needed for the business side of things, which is operations, account management, marketing. I'm not saying half those people weren't doing that much, right? Like I still think a lot of the tech companies could cut a lot of people, but specifically when sales, which is what I know most about in the big companies. And for Jordan, if you don't know, I worked at Google and sales team for a long time. Um, essentially, 
Google was always pretty good with, you know, having less clients versus each account manager or account team. So you would actually speak to people in the big uh, sales teams. Even for me now, when I have like clients who are spending 20 million a year on ads, right? They don't have a dedicated person at Facebook sometimes because it's just not big enough on paper to get the real large customer sales equivalent. And so that was, it's already frustrating. Twitter, I'm assuming is even worse because they're Oh man, you're getting that email like, you're you're sending an email five days later reminders like, yo, I haven't heard from my account. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So that's trying to give you millions of dollars. I mean, it's, it's. The tooling though, the ad platform at Twitter is just also not. It's just not, it's a bit clunky. Yeah, yeah. It messes up. So that's why you need an account manager. This is what I'm saying. One step back, two steps forward, people. (laughs) And Trunk, something to bring up on the brand side. (laughs) Trunk, you've mentioned this before. I think 80% of Twitter ads are brand ads, right? Yeah, not direct response, which is where the tooling comes in. And the tooling, but also the literally the handheld service. So to sell in a brand deal, to Pepsi or whoever, you need to be speaking that language to the brand CMO style person. It's not just, hey, this is driving direct sales, therefore like just keep spending more money. This is like, oh, you're doing a Super Bowl campaign, we're gonna pair it with Twitter. You're doing yeah. the Oscars, we're gonna make sure we yeah. have Twitter moments or whatever. So that is kind of where, as much as I wish it didn't work like that, you're still in an advertising industry that works hold, on yeah. relationships and handholding, exactly. Well. Jordan, let me, I meant to ask you this during the China segment, but it's related. TikTok, which I've been vocal about, should be banned. Do you think TikTok should be banned from the United States or forced to be sold to Larry Ellison? Give it to Larry. Just give Larry Ellison TikTok. (laughs) What are your feelings? I mean, I guess Elon's too poor now to get it himself. Um, that would have been a better timeline, I think, yeah. um, for us to be on than this one. Um, yeah, no, it shouldn't be here. Like, look, the it's at the end of the day, the algorithm is controlled by a firm, which is subject to the whims of Chinese communist party and people spend, you know, tens of millions, maybe a hundred million or more Americans spend a good chunk of their life on this platform. And it's a too powerful, a vehicle for, um, uh, for, for information, for viewpoints to, um, uh, to sort of, uh, potentially change uh, political outcomes, um, for, uh, us to tolerate this. So, you know, you had, you had Trump who, you know, was interested in this for like a hot minute and the Biden administration, frankly, has been pretty slow in, uh, in, in, in handling this, but I'm, I'm hopeful that in the coming months, we will, um, end up seeing some sort of, uh, aggressive action, which will, uh, no longer have, uh, sort of like, Beijing-based spike dance be uh, pulling the strings for the platform. You are living saying, in I China. I fucking love TikTok. <laughs> yeah, like, same. <laughs> I mean, it's great. Like, it's the like, best. Congratulations yeah. to the team. I hope they come out with an enormous bag. Um, right. Uh, they should get. They, they deserve the hundred billion dollar price tag that whoever is going to pay for it is going to pay yeah. for it. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, look, this is not uh, this is not something that you should um, that 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 uh, sort of Western democracy should be, should be open to um, uh, tolerating this sort of stuff. You know, India pulled the plug after um, uh, after the border confrontations in 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 uh, 2020 and. Um, 
it's 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 particularly with the direction that China is 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 going, and she is taking the country. This is not something that uh, that we should uh, leave ourselves open to going forward. Hey, you're hey, living Joe. in China. Sorry, but yeah, no. question. You're we living might be in China, the same question. Go for yeah, it. When it was on the come up, did you know? The beast, this thing was like, do you use Douyin, the Chinese Twitter? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh I oh. saw this coming way early. I was okay. like, I actually worked at the their major competitor. And it was really awkward because um, uh, I, I spent a year at Kuaisho, which is uh, actually originated the forum um, and had like 100 million users in China. And then uh, Zhang Yiming, the, the head of... Uh, uh, a ByteDance like completely copied the, uh, the the product, improved it, and there was this really awkward vibe in the firm I was at uh, because the chart, our chart, was just going, you know, uh, 10, 15, 20 percent growth, and and Douyin, the domestic version, was just vertical. Um, Dude, what were you doing there? What were you doing? So this I company? was like, I was like the white guy. A, uh, Token white guy? I was a token white guy. There were there were thousands of employees. I think like three or four foreign passport holders oh, when my, I was there. Are you serious? Um, yeah. Um, the reason I, the reason I, uh, I, I picked it instead of working at ByteDance is like, um, uh, a Kwai show at first had this like, uh, vibe where it was like the chill Chinese tech firm that was like, kind of like laid back and Buddhist and like people didn't work a thousand hours and was it three nine, weeks nine, after six? I, yeah, it wasn't nine, nine, six. It was nine, not, nine, nine, it was at first it was not nine, nine, six. Um, but then what happened was at the, uh, like, a, like two weeks after I started, the CEO had an all hands was like, guys, TikTok is kicking our ass. Um, we're in nine, war nine, mode. Six. Nine nine six. Nine nine Jordan, what's nine nine six? Tell your family yeah, you're not seeing them anytime soon. What's nine nine six? What's nine nine six? So nine nine six is uh, nine a.m. to nine p.m. six days a week. Um, Sounds and, like Twitter uh, right now, actually. It's like the equivalent oh, oh. of nine to five for us in the West, or nine yeah. to six, five days a week. But it's in your no. contract. I heard from people who I know work there. Well, it's interesting because it it actually at a certain point they made it illegal. Um, the Chinese government made it illegal, but everyone still did it. Um, not so great. So, yeah, um, okay. not great. Two, two, oh, two, two points on that. So, yes, it's totally, it's totally what's happening at Twitter, uh, which I find to be, you know, deeply ironic. And the most ironic thing is like the folks who are staying at Twitter are the ones on visas um, who can't leave. And a lot of those happen to be Chinese nationals. H1B who, mafia, man. Hold on, Chung's yeah. not. Listen, try, I'm not letting this myth, this old wives' tale slide. <laughs> yeah. There are 300 H1B visa holders at Twitter. Let's assume that they all are staying. That's I still only 15 percent of the company. Okay, fine. I take it back. Sorry. What the fuck do I know? I'm sorry. Cut it. Cut no, it. no, cut it. No, no, I like it. In there. Yeah, go. No, no, no. We, uh, it's funny that uh, we can make fun of Trung, but uh, there are so, a lot of visa holders. I'm sure. Yeah. No, and it's 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 unfortunate, and I hope this is not a thing that that sort of takes over Silicon Valley, um, you know, post um, uh, post uh, layoffs, which is what well, we've seen over the past. Jordan, years. can I ask a quick question? Because you lived in China, I think, and I know very little about WeChat, but do, I'm assuming you use WeChat when you were there. Yes. And do you still use it to chat with your homies? Uh, yes. Okay. And and so I've never used WeChat. I don't actually know that much about it, but the the phrase they're using for the vision of Elon's Twitter 2.0 is the everything app and that you've heard people talk about it with payments and social media and more video etc what what was WeChat like or is there are there other apps there that are more like the everything app so so you know WeChat is a magical creation um so it is basically the equivalent of it is it is the only communication tool 
that a lot of people use. Email isn't really a thing. Um, iMessage, direct texting isn't really a thing. There's no, there's no real, there's no real competitor. There's no sort of like WhatsApp or Signal or Telegram or whatever. It's basically WeChat, how you use to communicate. And that's sort of how it started. So um, in, in the coming years, uh, in, in the sort of following years after it graduated from just being a messaging app, it now is a primary place to read news. Um, so people have these, these public accounts, um, which are basically news outlets and you read articles and share articles. Um, there's a, a sort of like Facebook feed, uh, equivalent where people share status updates, which is where a lot of, um, sort of the, 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 the sharing of, of protest related material happened over the past few days. Um, and the kind of like everything app thing that, uh, uh sort of really takes the app to the next level is it's, um, it's your wallet. It's how you pay for a lot of stuff in China. Like so, Venmo, Twitter, and WhatsApp all put together or something like that. It's, it's, it's like your credit card. Um, it's, it's, it's really like the only way you pay for anything and you don't have another, like, like there's a, there's a, there's a competitor, Alipay, um, which I think has like 30% of market share relative to relative to WeChat. Um, but it is, um, sort of like it being the way you move money around, uh, on a day-to-day basis is an extraordinarily powerful thing. Right. Um, and that sort of linkage, uh, is something that, you know, Facebook tried, for a hot minute with Libra, right? Weren't able to get off the ground. Um, but I think the, um, but um, uh, yeah, I mean, good, good luck Elon making this happen. Uh, this is not the first, this is not the first American firm who's been like, oh, wow, WeChat, great business. Well, let's see if I can bring it to the West. Um, I think well, we're there just- There is a former Twitter co-founder who happens to be working on a payments company. And uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe Square slash Block could be the missing piece of this puzzle. Dorsey was championing Elon. I don't, guys, listen, you may have heard, but Elon co-founded PayPal or X.com. Which I think PayPal. Dorsey's out. Isn't Dorsey <laughs> out on, on Elon now? Isn't this the new gossip? Uh, wasn't I've he, wasn't he subtweeting back, him recently? I've seen some back and forth, but uh, uh, I don't really follow that story, to be honest, man. I, I can't. <laughs> I'm not going to opine on that. Uh, Trunk, can I, is my... Uh, assumption there that I, I think I heard Elon talk on like a spaces or something once and uh, even before he he bought Twitter or something yeah, like that. Yeah, July 14, 2021 at 8pm. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, is that the parallel? Is that a, a fair parallel that it seems like he's taking inspiration from from WeChat and others? Yeah, I mean, the pay the, the payment thing is a huge thing for him. He's like, he has talked about it at nauseum for the last two decades. And listen, whether or not you believe it, I'm just going to throw it out there, but he's frequently said if PayPal had executed my like plan, it'd be like a trillion dollar company. I don't know what that plan is, but apparently we're going to find out because yeah, now okay. he has Twitter as his canvas. Um, I wanted to say, yeah, I don't use TikTok at all. And Bilal has spoken on this uh, show about, I don't use it because of how addictive I know. I, I'm already addicted to Twitter. I do not need another addiction in my life, right? Like Twitter is ruining my sleep. Like I'll tweet something at 10 p.m. at night. I'm like, I'll wake up like, oh, I wonder if this one went viral. And then like it just ruins my sleep. So I couldn't do TikTok. But um, yeah, let me let me let me throw one last prediction question and then we could probably wrap from there. Uh, Jordan's been way too kind with his time. But well, let's talk about uh Apple Twitter, because I think this is like it is actually the most existential thing that could happen. So any predictions? Um, I think uh, the only thing I'll say, my prediction with Apple Twitter is uh, I don't think Twitter will get booted. I think the amount of noise that Elon can make is probably not worth Apple's time. Um, but Apple does kind of hold like the trump cards here. So um, yeah. what I'll say is they probably need to clean up the modern, or uh, at least to Blau's point about the brand safe stuff. It's like there needs to be some turn in perception 
around moderation. And whether it's hiring the right people or implementing a new technology, I don't know what it is, but that's the thing I'd be worried about because what Apple can do is it can throttle updates. And Elon has a lot of things he wants to do with Twitter. And if you can't put a new update through because Apple says we're not accepting it and they do this all the time, that's really the mechanism that can handicap the business. So I'll throw that out there. So Jordan, what are your thoughts? One of the biggest threats Apple faces is antitrust. And I think uh, throwing, uh, doing something as as sort of highlight, uh, headline grabbing as throwing Apple off the, excuse me, as throwing Twitter off the App Store um, would, you know, potentially accelerate uh, some of the some of the current activities on that. And, you know, they would have to have something really, uh, it would have to be something really obvious, like the feed gets completely, you know, taken over by child porn or something. Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, where we see Twitter right now, it would be really hard for them to find a, a justification for throwing uh, the app off the App Store. Below. Yeah, no, I feel the same. Uh, I feel like it's quite, it's huge risk to Apple if they did that, just it being with Elon specifically because he's making so much noise. Um, so yeah, I, I doubt that would happen, but you never know. And uh, I guess the other thought I had about this is it's a, such a shame in a way that, you know, how much power Apple holds with being the monopoly in this case. At the same time, the best technology businesses kind of inherently become monopolies because they're the I best so everyone uses them. Exactly. <laughs> I love and it so much. <laughs> like Google searches 80% or 70% market share because it's better than the rest. And YouTube is the biggest video platform because it's so much better and has the scale to, you know, essentially keep that moat. Um, though I guess TikTok is eating into it now. So I just, yeah, I don't, I don't think... I don't think Apple's power is going to change anytime soon. And I think they're going to... Uh, they don't really need to change the things that they're they're being criticized for at the moment. I think they're just people are just gonna have to keep playing along with their rules unless there is like some sort of regulation that makes them have to change their behavior. I just want to address the thing that we wouldn't talk about before because I don't want to completely throw the thirty percent under the bus. Is so they have structures around it, right? Like you guys mentioned, how like okay, you can actually do a workaround and like go buy audiobooks. It's annoying as hell, but you can skip the 30%. But also they, right now, there's only 15% for the first million. That's like a small business developer program. And then they also, if you have a subscription-based product, after the first year, it goes from 30% to 15%. So they've clearly, because of the Epic Games case, the Fortnite maker, they've had to make changes and they've been sued by the EU, the South Korean government. I'm not saying that they're not listening. I'm just saying... Elon did that tweet and it's a nice, like, you know, it's the 30%. It's like, again, you talked about Bilal. It's like a classic attack move, right? Pick the biggest person in the, it's funny that Elon's the richest person in the world. And then like, but Apple is literally just the biggest and most powerful company, right? So he like yeah. punched somebody bigger than him in the face or he's trying to. So yeah, I don't think they'll get kicked off, but uh, it, it'll be wild to watch. Yeah, completely. All right, man. I feel we can call it there unless you had anything else, Jordan, to wrap us up with. Uh, an honor and a privilege. You guys are true gentlemen. This is a uh, this is a dream come true. Thanks oh, for being here, man. Subscribe we'll, we'll, to China Talk. Yeah, yeah China Talk. To China media, Talk. China Talk. And we'll link to media. that in the yeah. show notes and as well. I'm definitely doing a nice Twitter pump on China Talk tomorrow. Let's there we do go. It. All right. All well, right. thanks for being here, man. And uh, I think we're going to wrap up because we've got to go watch the World Cup, all of us. So um, appreciate you guys being here. I hope you guys had a good Thanksgiving and uh, we'll see you next week. Cheers. Yeah, peace out, guys. Thank you.